I'd like you to notice, as we study this particular topic on soul winning at this hour, three special chairs that we've placed here. The one in the center represents the sinner, and we're going to do our best under Christ to be an instrument for winning him to the Lord Jesus. In order to win him to the Lord Jesus, we want to learn the methods of the Lord Jesus, and the chair at my right, your left, represents the Lord Jesus. And we're going to notice what his methods are as he uses us to win this sinner to him. Yet over at my left is this higher chair. At your right, this higher chair represents the sanctimonious Satan. And we want you to notice with us at this hour how Satan seeks to prevent this sinner's conversion. And in order to know how the sinner is saved and what part Jesus plays and what part the devil plays, we have an opening text of Scripture. It's Romans 8, 24, and it goes something like this. We are saved by what do you suppose? And you know, friends, again and again as I read this to audiences and I leave the last word for them to fill in, they don't put in the word that's in the Bible. For we are saved by, and you know what most of them will say, grace. And once in a while, somebody will say, hope. And I will keep kind of repeating it to lead them on to impress them that when Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says we're saved by grace through faith, that's what hope is. Hope is a combination of grace and faith. Grace representing the love of God and faith representing our acceptance of his love. And as we accept his love, we have hope. So it says we're saved by hope. I was speaking on this subject at a college church some time ago, and uh, every once in a while I would turn to the audience and I'd say, now according to this Bible text, by what are we saved? And they would say, hope. And uh, it wasn't too strong. But I heard one voice in that audience that said, hope. I thought, man alive, there's assurance. There's a lot of hope in that voice. I'd like to know where it comes from. So I decided that I'd go a little bit farther. I'd say, now, if this sinner in the center, if he is saved, how is he going to be saved? And they'd say, hope. And this man said, hope. And I said, therefore, what is Satan on my left? What is he trying to take away from this sinner? The last ray of what? And they'd say, hope. And this one man would say, hope. And each time I'd ask them to reply or to respond, I would try to localize this big hopeful voice. Finally, I found it. So I said, I think now it's among two or three people. I want to know which one it is. So I said, now then, according to the Bible, friends, let's never forget that if we're to be the instruments of the Holy Spirit, we must know that this sinner is saved by what? And I heard the great big voice saying, hope. And you know, it was a great big two-story, double-chested gentleman. It was Dr. Suri. Dr. Suri was a teacher of teachers, a tremendous personality. And as he said, hope, I noticed his wife sitting beside him, taking him by the lapel of the coat and trying to uh, kind of tune him down. But you know, it's a hard thing to tune down hope. We're saved by what? Hope. Now, here is the Lord Jesus inspiring this sinner with hope.
Here is Satan over at my left, determining with all the malignity of his terrible, deceptive nature to draw from this poor sinner the very last vestige, the last ray, the last glimmer of hope. Then I come into picture. And I think, my, I'm going to give this man something to think about. I'm really going to give him the works. So I come with my Bible in hand, and I say, listen, brother, listen, brother sinner, do you realize what you've been doing? Do you realize that you've brought reproach on your family? Do you realize you've brought reproach on society? Do you believe you've brought reproach on the cause of the Lord? And I just bear down on him. And when I leave, I report next weekend one missionary visit, and I tell my wife, I said, I want to tell you, I gave that man something to think of. My report is one missionary visit for whom? For the one on my left, Satan. I find myself in that event doing what a man told me he had been doing. He said, Brother Kuhn, I've now learned that too often I have been working for the Lord like the devil. I have towered over the sinner like this chair. You see, it's higher than the sinner. I'm better than you. I'm virtually saying to the sinner, you better sin the way I sin, or you better stop sinning. The Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He is, by his accusations, determining to take away the last ray of hope. At about this time, one of the good members of my church family hears about this poor sinner. And he doesn't have many talents, this layman. But his heart just goes out in love for his fellow church member. And he offers a prayer to the Lord, and he said, Lord, please help me to help my dear friend. I'm not worthy. I don't know how, what to say. But Lord, give me wisdom. Make me an instrument of the Holy Spirit. And he comes to see this man, and he carries on something like this. He said, Brother, Brother Blank, I'm so glad to see you. And he probably puts his arm around him. I'm so glad to see you. He said, Do you know, I've been thinking about you for quite a while, and I've been missing you because I, I think so much of you. And he said, You know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my Christian life. Maybe you feel you've made some mistakes too. Brother, you know the Bible says, though our sins are scarlet, the Lord will make them white as snow. Why don't we together just kneel down and, and say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sins and make them white as snow. Lord, I'm believing that you're doing it. And Lord, thank you, I'm receiving this cleansing. And as he looks into his brother sinner's eyes, his brother sinner sees in his eyes moisture. He sees humility. He sees deepest love. He sees a love that is willing to be inconvenienced. He sees a love that's willing to be involved. He finds a love that's not towering over him like Satan. And he falls down on his knees with his fellow layman. And he cries out to God, Lord, my brother, my brother has, has brought hope to me. He tells me that, that there's still hope, Lord. Lord, thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for cleansing me from all iniquity. And the dear layman, as he leaves that place after that prayer, he doesn't boast. He doesn't go home to his wife and say, I want to tell you what a wonderful thing I did. He said, I was so unworthy. But you know, Jesus, 
Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and the ministry of angels, brought our brother back to Jesus. His feet are now on the solid rock, and he and his wife kneel down together, and they say, Thank you, Lord, so much that you used us to bring our brother hope. We're saved by hope. Let me give you a concrete illustration. I've made many mistakes in my Christian life. There have been times when I, even as a minister, have towered over the sinner. I've taken that holier-than-thou attitude. I've tried to shame him into doing right. I've tried to bring him conviction when that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an illustration of once when the Lord helped me to use his methods. He's helped me many times. I want to share just the one. He was a member of my church family. I was pastor of a college church in the East. And this man had, had left his wife. He'd left the children destitute. He had a large family. He'd set up his offices down in the city, hoping that none of the church family would know where he was, living with another woman, carrying on this abominable life, this unworthy existence. And I had just come as a new pastor there. I knew nothing about him, of course. He had a large church. And one day, one of the leading officers of the church came to see me. He said, Pastor, have you heard about Brother Blank? I said, no. He said, Brother Blank has left his wife. He's left his children destitute. He isn't putting a penny into their support. He's set up offices down in the heart of the city. He's living a life with a woman who is not his wife. And he said, that man must be dealt with immediately. Oh, I said, would you give me his telephone number? I'd like to visit him right away. He said, telephone number? He said, that isn't the way. He said, if you call that man on the telephone and he thinks you're coming to see him, he'll hide from you. There'll be no way you can get to see him. No. He said, the way for you to handle that man is to come in when he doesn't realize it and beard the lion in his den. I thought, what? Is that so, Winnie? To beard the lion in his den? I said, no, brother, if you'll give me his telephone number and his address, I will call him on the telephone and see what I can do. He said, no, that is not the way to do it, pastor. He said, I'm telling you how to do it. Isn't it amazing how much people know about we, how we ought to work for the Lord like the devil? It was with some persuasion that I was able to, to defend my position. And after a while, I finally convinced him, I persuaded him to give me the man's telephone number. Before I called him on the telephone, I claimed some Bible promises. Any of you can do the same thing. Anyone. You don't have to have talent. We just have the Holy Spirit. One of the promises I claimed was for wisdom. Wisdom to do what? Wisdom not to tower over him like Satan accuses people. I claimed the promise of Luke eleven thirteen for the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit will do what? He will testify of Jesus. He'll point the sinner to the matchless, forgiving love of Jesus Christ. Then I claim the promise of 1 John 5, 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin that's not unto death, he may ask, and God will give him life. How about that? And then I claimed another promise, Genesis 3, 15, that God would give him a hatred for the life that he was now living. Only God can give us a hatred for, the, for the, a sensuous life, for an unworthy life. But God's promised to do it. This is the very first promise of the Messiah who will deliver and give us the ability to, to hate the thing that we love. With that, I call him on the telephone. Now, what was I going to try to do as I call him on the telephone? Bring him what? Hope. That's right, hope. So I'll be very enthusiastic. 
As he answered, I said, Brother Blank, I'm your pastor. I have something wonderful for you, and I'd like to see you all alone. Why did I say all alone? So he would know that I was not going to expose him. I want to see you all alone, Brother Blank. It's something that will be wonderful for you, and you're going to like it. But I'd like to see you all alone. Uh, would it be possible for me to see you tonight at 6 o'clock in my driveway, in my car, where we can be alone? I'd like to have it be confidential, Brother Blank. Inside of five seconds, friends, that man had consented to meet me in my car, in my driveway, at my home, because he was being inspired with what? Hope. Sure enough, as the hour arrived, he was climbing in beside me in my car. When he climbed in, I claimed those four promises again. Why did I claim them again? Because, my friends, I needed the wisdom from the Lord not to tower over this man, not to say to him, you better sin the way I sin, brother, or you better stop sin. Oh, no, no, no. No, Lord, give me wisdom to know all we like sheep have gone astray. Sometimes I ask a congregation, how many in this congregation are backsliders? And about six hands may be raised in a congregation of hundreds in attendance. Six hands. And I'll, I'll reply, six of us know it, but we're all backsliders. All we like sheep have gone astray. I claimed again the promise of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus the Savior, who will reach down to the lowest depths and lift us up to the throne of God. And as I claimed those promises, I turned to him to inspire him with what? Hope. I said, Brother, just like I told you on the telephone, I, and I accelerated my voice. I said, Just like I told you on the telephone, I have something wonderful for you, brother. I, it is absolutely almost out of this world, brother. I said, It's nothing like a job, it's no special business opportunity, but it's, I've come to be the instrument in the hands of the Lord to bring you complete deliverance. You know what happened? The man dropped his head. I should have realized at that moment why he dropped his head. I knew part of the reason, but I didn't know all of the reason. I thought it was because he was ashamed, and he expected that I'd belittle him, you see. He was ashamed, and he did expect I'd belittle him. He also expected that now, aha, is this what it's about? My pastors come to me under the guise of confidentiality, to wring from my lips a confession which he will, as a sort of a spiritual FBI agent, present to his church council, and he'll use this information, my own confession, to drop me from the fellowship of the church. No way. But it didn't dawn over me that that was what he's thinking for 40 minutes. But during those 40 minutes, friends, how do you inspire a man with hope? You show him the grace of the Lord so he can reach up by faith and take the grace of the Lord, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I told him of person after person after person whom I had met who had been in a similar situation to his, whom God had lifted completely out of his sin for life and cleansed him from all iniquity, and he'd become a worker for the Lord. As I related one experience after another after another, I was praying earnestly for the presence of the Holy Spirit that he would capture a picture of the loving, forgiving, saving Christ. After I'd spent about 15 minutes, I was exhausted. The man never made any response. He just looked down. He never said, thank you. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, related, another experience, still another experience, still another experience. 40 minutes. The devil said, listen, Coon, this man doesn't appreciate anything you're doing, not one thing. The man wants to be lost. Forget it. And then the Lord caught up. By the presence of his Holy Spirit, he said, look, 
The ABCs of prayer, A is ask, Matthew 7, 7. The B of prayer is believe, Mark 11, 24. The C of prayer is to thank me you have received, and you did that, John 11, 41. You've thanked me you've received. Don't give up. Don't give up, son Coon. Don't give up. Oh. Then the Lord impressed me. The man doesn't know whether you're trying to wring a confession or not. I said, brother, I don't want you to tell me one sin you've ever committed. I'm not interested in any of the details of your sins or your past life at all. I've only come, brother, for one express purpose, to see you find deliverance in Jesus Christ. And when I said that, and it dawned over the man that I wasn't trying to wring a confession to use against him, he looked up, looked me full in the face, and the tears just almost gushed out of his eyes. He just burst into tears. He said, Pastor. And then he put his face in his hands. He said, there's no hope for me. Now, friends, when you bring a man hope, God tells us how to do it. Romans 15, 4 says, the scripture, the comfort of the scripture gives men hope. The Holy Spirit impressed me to put my arm around this man. For we're saved by grace, that's God's love, through faith. And God impressed me to mix the love of God with the faith in God with this man to give him hope. And I, I quoted every comforting promise according to Romans 15, 4, that I could lay my tongue to, such as, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Isaiah 1, 18, 1 John 1, 9, many others. And then I said, brother, he was still sobbing, just sobbing. I said, brother, you are now experiencing the new birth. I said, let me tell you, something wonderful is happening. And I, and I patted him on the shoulder. And I said, here's the text that shows what's happening in your life. Isaiah 57, 15, it says, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also. That is of a humble and contrite spirit. I said, the, con the contrition that you're manifesting, the sobbing of your heart is telling God how sorry you are for your sins. You are experiencing a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new birth. And brother, you're going to be used to the Lord to bless many souls. And then I just kept right on quoting one precious promise after another. I don't know, maybe another 10 minutes. He finally looked up, his face just wet with tears. He looked me full in the face. He said, Pastor, thank you. I'm going back home. Oh, I said, wonderful, brother. Thank the Lord, brother. When? Tonight? He said, no, tomorrow. I prayed with him again, shook his hand, gave him a big hug first, shook his hand. See you tomorrow. He stepped out in the darkness. I walked into my house. I thought, oh, praise the Lord. I was exhausted. You can't save a soul unless you love a soul. But I couldn't go to sleep. I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm so exhausted. No. The Holy Spirit spoke to me in that still, small voice and said, look, tomorrow morning you get to his wife's place before he does. You must build up her hope because this man hasn't supported his family. He's really... He, he, he's been an awful man. He's been very wicked. And his wife will have no hope unless you inspire her with hope. I said, thank you, Lord. I'll go there first so to prepare her for his, for his coming home. 
The next morning early, I was knocking at her door. She came to the door, invited me in. I said, Sister Blank, rejoice with me. I said, last night something wonderful happened. Your husband was converted, and he's coming home. And I said to myself, that woman will be as happy as anybody I've ever seen all my life. I was in for a surprise. The woman looked at me, and she said, hmm, better be converted. Hmm, better be converted. I said, sister, really, really, I can't give you the details. I was glad I couldn't. Why should I go into orbit around his sins? We're talking about the Savior, not the devil. I said, really, he's had a tremendous conversion, sister. It's real, it's genuine, sister. And she looked at me as though she could eat and digest nails. Man, what a look. She looked so that I really, I said in my heart to the Lord, Lord, I'm glad she isn't my wife. <laughs> and I w then the devil came in to my thinking. He said, look, anything but a holier-than-thou, sanctimonious, pusillanimous, proud Christian. What can you do for her? And I was just about ready to leave, and the Lord caught up with me again. He said something like this, my son, you claimed my promise. You thanked me that you had received. Don't back up. And friends, without its coming from my heart, scarcely, the Lord came in in a special way and put words in my lips. And I said this, sister, I want to make a prediction. I predict that when you see your husband coming up the front walk, you will rush out on the front porch and you'll meet him and you'll throw your arms around him and you'll welcome him, welcome him back home. <coughs> and that lady looked at me <coughs> as though she was going to have an extra helping of tacks to eat. And I thought, oh, what's going to happen now? She said, Pastor, that's just what I'm going to do. I said, praise the Lord. Let's pray. I knelt down and I thanked God for her willingness to forgive. She had hope. I thank God that she was willing to receive him back. She had many wounds. She'd suffered much. She was willing to forgive. And then I left. I had a very heavy program in that church. Many others had to visit. Didn't get back to see him. In fact, I didn't want to be there when he came. I didn't want to say to her, you kiss him on the cheek and put your arm around. No, no. Teenagers don't need somebody to coach them like that. When the love of God is in the heart, I knew the Lord would take care of it. But about three days later, I was in a nearby grocery store. And there I saw their little boy, just a little tyke, maybe eight, nine. And I thought, I'll get a report. So I kind of said, son. And he stepped over where we're kind of alone. And I lowered my voice and modulated it and smiled a little. And I said, son, how's everything in your home? That little tyke straightened up. You wouldn't have thought a boy could straighten so much. And the most princely, victorious look you ever could expect to see on the face of a lad. He said, fine, fine. And then as though he were saying, you can read between the lines, he said, Pastor, Daddy is back home. Friends, we're saved by hope. And the world needs to know about hope. Over in the Tate Gallery in London, England, there's a painting of a woman that is blindfolded playing on the, a lute. Every string is broken but one. And with a look of intensity, <coughs> she is trying to get a little 
the melody from that one string. And underneath is just one word, hope. There are thousands upon thousands of men and women today in this wicked world who struggled and striven every way to be successful. And every string is broken except one. Let us play that string. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.